This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where we have, thankfully, Everton's first Premier League win of the season to discuss today. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Jones, joined by Chris Beasley and Conor O'Neill to go over Everton's 1-0 victory over West Ham United at Goodson Park on Sunday afternoon, courtesy of Neil Mopai's first goal for the club after his move from Brighton in the summer. Uh, and we'll, well, we've got a lot to discuss, lads, mm-hmm. but we'll uh, jump straight into it, Bees. And yeah. um, I mean, first win of the season for Everton, as we've as we've discussed there, and it, it felt like an important one, didn't it? It felt, it felt crucial almost to, for Frank Lampard to get to get yeah. these three points over the line. Yeah, I mean, I got a bit of stick from Connor before, and then we, he was saying, "So you said, Chris, it's gonna it's a must win game, but it isn't." Because <laughs> uh, I, was, I was saying that nobody quite was saying it is a must win game, but we were kind of saying how important it was and how convenient it would be for Everton to get three points. But because yeah. Everton have had a tough start to the season on and off the pitch, a tough run of fixtures there. And I think other than the draw with newly promoted Nottingham Forest, um, you could say they were all good points in isolation. And uh, you'd, have t- you'd, have, you'd have taken them well gladly, those points, I guess. But, you know, six games in, still without a victory. They 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 needed something tangible there. To, uh, there was a big discrepancy. We discussed it here on the Royal Blue podcast between the way Evertonians and people who watch the club on a regular basis were sort of looking at that steady progress under Frank Lampard and the way outsiders were looking at it and say, oh, well, no victory, so what's he actually done there? So, yeah, they needed that victory to back it up, especially with the, um, they'd lost the game at Arsenal in terms of it not being played. And um, the two weeks going into the, the international break, uh, you, you don't want to be going into October still waiting for that for that first um, Premier League victory, whatever the circumstances. So, yeah, it was a big game. Two teams going into this, um, the game, both level on points. We've been struggling four points apiece. So, it's important in that respect as well. And, yeah, and it was a tight game on the on the day. I mean, it wasn't pretty for a long time there. First half was, was, was pretty turgid and, you know, a moment of inspiration from... Neil Mopay and I guess so we'll go on to this, but that's what Everton have been lacking that that, that sort of um presence up front of a of a natural centre forward. And it was great to see him up and running for it for his new club. And hopefully it'll be the result that can uh, sort of kickstart Everton's season, given that 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 impetus to press on now. Mm. I mean, uh, I think what B says is quite right, isn't it, Connor? It's more it's more the mental side of things, isn't it? Because obviously Everton fans have been focusing on these positive performances over the last few weeks, but that sentiment, I suppose, only gets you so far, doesn't it, when you're only picking up one point each match. Uh, to get three points over the line this time just makes the Premier League table look a bit nicer going into the international break, doesn't it? And it kind of renews that sort of feeling of positivity among the fan base as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it almost gives everyone a boost, doesn't it? Because you think you look how many places you shot up the table on yeah. Sunday when the full-time was so blue. The, the big difference, you know, one point to three points, does it does make, you know, it was, it was clear for all to see. I think it does give everyone that additional boost because, look, I think everyone has been quite encouraged, I'd say, so far this season, what they've seen, the transfer business, how Frank Lampard's aims to set his team up. But like B said, when you haven't won a game, it almost becomes hard to kind of keep banging the drum of there's progress being made if you haven't won a match. So I think for Everton to win the way they did at the weekend was, was huge because I think West Ham, you know, it was a pretty poor game. I think we'd all agree in general, but, you know, West Ham were probably there for the taking. And I think you look so far this season... You know, Chelsea weren't great when they come to Goodison. 
Forest, you know, was probably a missed opportunity. Even the Liverpool game was probably a missed opportunity in terms of how many chances they've created. But you think of, of recent seasons, I just think it was important that another chance, another opportunity didn't pass Everton by to get three points because you can't keep kind of coming close but not quite getting over the line. It, that's why I think it was massive that he did get over the line on Sunday and get three points because, like I say, I think they've had a, a few chances. This other points have been good in them games. They've had moments where they could have easily gone away with all three. They didn't, so I think to come away with all three was, was huge in the grand scheme of not just the table, but obviously, as you say, not psychologically and mentally, because you know, ultimately, wins are what move up the table, draws, you know, keep it sitting along, but wins are what's most important. And Evans didn't want to be heading into the international break for the next two weeks, thinking of another missed opportunity, gone and you know, looking nervously over the shoulder at the, the bottom, you know, the, the looker above and you know, looker who's in touch and distance in the, the top eight and top six. Mm. I mean, obviously, we've we've all mentioned how we're. Uh, disappointing now, I would say the performance of the game was, you know, yeah. it, it, it wasn't exactly the most exhilarating uh, 90 minutes of Premier League football you're ever going to see. Do you think that was pr- probably affected by the Arsenal game getting called off a week beforehand? It seemed that Everton, I suppose, had maybe lost a bit of that positive momentum that they had against Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, unlike West Ham, who'd obviously played in Europe on the Thursday night, albeit made six changes, um, Everton had gone over a fortnight. Without a game, so yeah, you are going to struggle to get back in your rhythm. But I think it's probably evident that here were two teams who had been relatively struggling going into the game, both on four points, and it was important for both of them. And unfortunately, it was Everton who just had that bit of inspiration um, to, to edge Everton. I mean, you, we know obviously at Everton, um, David Moyes inside out, eleven years at the club. What, what he's going to do? You know, it's going to be tough. He's not going to play an expat come to Goodison and play an expansive kind of football. He's going to make sure that all his, <clears throat> his players are given the 100% and that they're, they're compact and that that, that, that they're uh, they're organised. And uh, the way Everton have been, obviously, a lot more resolute now. Um, they're, not, they're still not scored more than one goal in any game, in any competition this season. So, I mean, it is important that Everton have been have tightened up at, at the back. So, I guess, um, and, I mean, that 1-0 um, scoreline was... Quite predictable, really. We, I mean, we did our predictions on Friday, and I was sort of backed into going one nil because Gavin <laughs> Joe Berth went for two nil, so I was sort of by default proven correctly there. But um, yeah, it, it, it was never going to be sort of um, free flowing stuff. But then, I mean, Everton had to, to work for it after they got ahead. I mean, David Moyes felt that his side actually played the better football after Everton had gone ahead, and it opened up a bit there. And Begovic was called into action a couple of times. Later on, I mean, um, it, it, again, they had to, to to be careful, but yeah, it wasn't as a wasn't one that I would uh, going to be talked about in, in years to come. But hopefully, can be the platform now for something for Everton to build upon in, in the months ahead. Mm. If we're speaking about that strong defence, obviously, we'll get on to talk about the back <clears> four <throat> itself uh, in a little bit. But as Mia Begovic came into the side, it's not an easy position to be uh, a Premier League number two keeper. In a lot of senses, you don't really have the opportunity to build up that rhythm before you get into the fixture. But as B's quite rightly says, he was called into action a fair few times, especially in the second half. And he proved himself to be a really, really solid backup for Everton again, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And I think, you know, it's tough enough when you come in at the best of times, when you come in to replace Jordan Pickford, who's the best, I think he's arguably been the best player of the last year, you know, quite easily. It's even bigger, even more of a mantle when you, when you think of what he's coming into. But I think Begovic, since he comes to the club, has been a solid Number two backup, as you think his backups go, he's beat you right up there with the best in terms of experience, could be able to come in, do the job, get the job done. And I think, you know, Everton kind of reaped the benefits from his signing last season on a lot being made of Rafa Benitez's 
signings at the club, but actually one of the big benefits that Rafa did bring an experienced number two in who has got the experience just to come in, do the job and, and then, you know, step aside when Jordan was back fit. So yeah, it was it was huge and I think he was a sub confidence as well, I think, by not being caught into action as much as what we what he would have been hoping for before the game because I think like you say when you haven't had that rhythm, I suspect the last thing you want in the first twenty minutes is to be peppered with with shots from left, right and centre and crosses into the box and you know Everton's back four done extremely well in terms of limiting West Ham to not just efforts on goal but also you know getting the ball to dangerous areas. So I think it was a combination of you know him being able to settle in and Everton's back four again showing showing the way. But in terms of him to keep a clean sheet, it's huge because again it builds on a solid foundation based that Frank Lampard's clearly built and working hard behind the scenes on on building. So for for Begovic to come in and carry on what Pickford's kind started so far this season is huge and you know, obviously all hours now beyond when the football returns that's international break and how how far Jordan is away. But the good thing is Everton only got Asmi Begovic there who can easily come in and make a and make a difference when, when calls upon. Mm. I suppose Begovic will be particularly delighted to have players like Connor Cody and James Tarkovsky directly mm-hmm. in front of him, you know, two leaders mm-hmm. who again put in absolutely phenomenal performances again, didn't they? Yeah, I thought Tarkovsky particularly I mean Connor Cody wearing the captain's armband for the first time. It was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Given that, you know, amazing captaincy credentials, but obviously that formality that he's only on loan at the, the moment. There was what a couple of moments in the first half when he, he trodden the ball. And to be fair, Tarkovsky got him out, out of jail. But yeah, it's a combination. They've been a revelation so far. And uh, they just give Everton that sort of de- that dependency, that extra ruthless streak dare I say that nastiness certainly with Tarkovsky perhaps more so uh, but you know they're both you know um, strong lads who can look after themselves but Everton have needed that you know, they've been a, a soft centre for too long now and you want to have that and obviously that understanding two two um, England internationals Cody back in the frame again now for the, the forthcoming games and that's based on his, his form for Everton that's why he's come to Everton but all of a sudden I mean Everton been really fortunate with the circumstances that all of a sudden this model pro you know Club captain at Wolves the last five years becomes available. Of course, it snaps it off. And uh, what, yeah, what a, what a solid combination they've been. I think it's been spoken about this week the fact that Everton have only conceded one goal from corner kick at, at Brentford all season, yet 60 odd corners they conceded. And you imagine how that was the Achilles heel last season. A lot of that has to go down to the two centre backs. And another thing they said about Cody is it, um, you could only play in a three. Well, he's playing in back four now and he just looks solid again. And then as for Tarkovsky, and that tackle yeah. on Antonio. Yeah. I mean, a lot of Blues enjoyed um, that one down at the same end. That Cristiano Ronaldo came a cropper, Phil Neville a few a few years back. Yeah. Wasn't quite the bone cruncher. That one was, but it was perfectly perfectly timed by Tarkovsky. I mean, Mikalenko got out of the way quick, uh, quick enough. I <laughs> yeah. thought it was going to be um, a, a straight foot race between him and um, and Antonio. But yeah, firm but fair from Tarkovsky. And, and yeah, let, let's have more of that. And again, though, Two fullbacks side by side of them, uh, particularly Patterson, who making up for lost time after hardly getting a kick last season. I mean, he's been a, a revelation both for him going forward, and I thought um, he hit the measure of um, Pornells as well before he went off, and he was working hard defensively. So yeah, as a whole unit, been very impressive in that respect. Mm. Whilst we're on the subject of Cody and the captaincy, I think Bees is quite right that it was an interesting decision to give it to him, uh, only being a lone player rather than maybe giving it to Tarkovsky, who has. You know, in, in my opinion, at least very similar sort of leadership styles. But, you know, Jordan Pickford is expected to be back shortly after the international break. Uh, he's been the one wearing the armband while Seamus Coleman has been out of the side a lot of the time. Would you would you give the armband straight back to Pickford? Do you think Cody's made 
enough of a case to to keep hold of it for for the coming weeks or not? No, I think the, the arm might be going back to Pickford. I think mm. it, it, it's quite clear, isn't it, that you know it's, it's Seamus as, as kind of club captain, but you know in terms of where we stand at the minute, Jordan Pickford is kind of the team captain in the sense mm. of you know he's he's probably going to play a hell of a lot more than Seamus is this this season by by look. I think so. It's almost like the the vice captain. You know he's become vice captain, so I think. Jordan will have the armband back when he when he's back fit. I think Frank's been quite clear, hasn't he? You know, early on that he sees Jordan as a leader and he's been impressed by what what he's seen and what how he's developed over the past couple of months in terms of his leadership skills. So I think, but I think again, the big thing it does come does show is Everton now have a whole host of leaders. I mean, you know, we were having a debate on who is going to be captain because there were so many people he could, yeah. could give the armband to. It wasn't so long ago we were having debates on who was going to be captain yeah. and saying, well, there's no one who give the armband to. <laughs> yeah. you know, we were having the opposite, we were having the opposite conversation. So I think, it, again, it's it's the shrewd kind of transfer business in the Frank Lampard that he's gone out there and he's, he's bought natural kind of born leaders, experienced pros who, who know the game inside out and who he trusts to, to the football club. I mean, even though Neil Mopay, I think, captain Brighton a couple of, on a couple of occasions in the past. So, He's another experienced, you know, figurehead in the squad now. So, yeah, I think it's it's a good dilemma, I think, for Frank to have. But I think, you know, I think Jordan will be very much the kind of the, the skipper when Seamus isn't around. And I think, you know, Jordan himself will probably want the armband because he wants, you know, to show that he is the, the, the leader of the group. And, you know, he's been there probably the longest now, hasn't he? So, mm. again, that long-standing servant. But I was a bit surprised, Cody, got, I thought maybe Sarkovsky might have got it. But I don't really think it makes much difference because I don't think... You look at the, how the two of them play. I don't really think they need an armband to, to be leaders and to be yeah. and to, to tell me what to do. I think it just naturally comes both of the games. I mean, you think of you know the, the summer and the preseason friendlies. Tarkovsky was telling people what to do in, in the first one against Arsenal, wasn't mm-hmm. he? And that was his first ever time put on a blue shirt. So I don't think either of them need an armband to be to be natural leaders. And I think they'll be both quite happy to see Jordan Pickford wear the armband when he's back fit. Do you think, and sticking with you, Connor, like, do you think that maybe somebody like Nathan Patterson is being helped along more than? More than most others in, in in the squad in this sense, because obviously at the start of the season there were still questions about how we might adapt defensively to the Premier League. But I think you know, this West Ham game proved, and you know that late tackle that he made on a corner, which realistically saved saved, yeah. saved the three points, didn't it? I mean, moments like that have have been very common over the last couple of weeks from from Patterson. Do you think he's maybe being helped uh, more more than anybody else by having? Somebody like Cody, somebody like Tarkovsky next to him, uh, being able to direct him and being able to give him that confidence, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. But I think he's getting helped by by all angles, isn't he? Because you think you look know, at clubs, coaching staff. There's with the second best Premier League full back up, left back of all time. And I think we can knock like nothing. <laughs> but but yeah, you know, obviously Ashley Cole's on, on the first team coaching staff. So you know, what a person to learn off. Like Baines, obviously, as well is is, is in the Rana club in, in terms of the academy coaching staff. Obviously, he's you know, he spoke himself, hasn't he? Nathan, about how much he's learned of Seamus Coleman and how Seamus has been a big influence on him so far. So, I think he's probably getting it from all angles in the sense of, you know, he's got Cody and Tarkovsky playing alongside him. He's got the coaching staff and Ashley Coleman at Baines. Then, obviously, he's got kind of, you know, Seamus Coleman as this mentor figure type thing, you know, telling him what to do, what, you know, giving him tips and advice. Because I think Seamus himself probably looks at Nathan and sees him as the, the air to his thrower in terms of right back bait at, at the club. So, he's probably getting it from all angles. But I think we, what we have seen, I think what the biggest compliment you can play to Nathan Passing is he's clearly just wanting to listen to want to learn because he's come on so much and he's come on leaps and bounds so fast that he's obviously listened to what people have got to say to him. He's obviously taking all the advice on board and he's he's, he's open to developing and, and getting better and doing the right things because like you say, when he did come in there was question marks over his ability defensively, you know, there was there was 
obviously question marks as in where he was actually a right back in terms of was he more of a right wing back than than right back. But you know, the last couple of weeks he certainly answered them questions emphatically and he just looks like someone who wants to develop lane and and almost take everything in with what people are telling him, which you know, you, you can't buy that really in football these days, can you? And it only stands him in good stead moving forward. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, having a strong defence is one thing. These boys mm-hmm. still need to put the ball in the back of the net yeah. at the other end. And Neil Mopay did that with a plum, didn't he? Yeah. You know, fantastic first touch. Really took the shot on early. And it was a really, really good way to open your account for a new club, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, see what Everton have been missing, isn't it? It's that, that focal point to the attack. But he's actually very different than their other options. Because you think Dominic Calvert-Lewin and to a certain extent Salomon Rondon, your more traditional target man, certainly more physicality about them um but obviously run rondon not much of a runner but you know holds the ball up but whereas mope you know smaller stature still strong in his physique but um he offers a different sort of a, you know you know he's not a target man and that you although i did see him winning a few headers mm-hmm. to be fair he got up there it's all about timing not necessarily about your height or header you know so he's not he's not one you're going to lump up to but he gives everton uh, a different option and that's probably quite canny for what frank's done there because in the hope uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin will get fit and will play the majority of matches this season to lead the line. Maybe Mopey offers something a bit different, so you're not just going like for like. If you do need to make a change, so that's where he he fits in. I, you know, I'm not too sure about whether there'll ever be a strike partnership. I don't know if they're going to go down that route. You know, it was very popular for a long time, but you don't tend to see that now. So, yeah, in terms of his goal. Like say took it on straight away with and got the turn nice ball in again from Alex Awobi deserves the the credit for for that and yes yeah, a smart finish and ultimately that's the difference that's what we've seen in those games so far with Everton where they couldn't break down the opponent got a false number nine there and attacking midfielder playing out of position whereas they had a proper strike at his side he'd missed his chance in the derby having you know the red tape had denied him a potential debut at Leeds United. So he's, you know, finding his way back in. Now. I think it was his first goal in a, in a dozen games. So that's great for him too. Now he's up and running as as well as um, Everton were really the first victory. And it'd be interesting actually when they go to, to Southampton, even if Calvert-Lewin is, is fit and has had that fortnight's extra rest. You, at this stage, you still imagine it'd be Mopate leading the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> I think Bede makes, makes an excellent point there. I, I was going to, just ask that. I mean, you don't want to look too far ahead to Southampton at this stage, I suppose. But, you know, Mope certainly ends his starting place, really, hasn't he? Because not only has he been putting in copious amounts of work, especially in that Liverpool game, covering more distance than anybody else, uh, but, you know, he's got the just rewards for that uh, with his goal against West Ham now, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And you'd be hard. You'd you, you be real that he doesn't start to sink there. He's now, wouldn't he? Given what he's, he's done over the last 180 you know, minutes of football, I think the big thing for me the weekend was we saw that instinctive goal scoring kind of finish from him because I think there's been a lot of questions about more pain in terms of he works hard, put the shift in, he's put focal points up the top, but he's not kind of got the goal return that perhaps his work has warranted. I think, you know, you look at Brighton, Brighton had a lot of plaudits, but he was arguably the weak part of Brighton, just putting the ball in the back of the net, yeah. similar to Everton, and obviously he'd been the man leading the line for, for much of that you know, time, certainly under Graham Potter. So I think... To him for answer um, critics kind of emphatically on on Sunday with that type of finishing, you know, the way he picked the ball up and instinctively knew what he was going to do, it, it only stands him in good stead moving forward because it's almost like he was showing he has got that instinctive, you know, strikers goal scoring finish, you know, nerve that you know it's hard to buy basically. You know, it's 
not me not doing knock around, but him to show the way to him to show that in the way he did. Well, hopefully he's not standing in good stead. And like I said, I think it'd be incredibly hard push for him not to start at St. Mary's. I think he deserves another, another shot at leading the line. And ultimately as well, I think you've got to you've got to be you know, brutally honest. I mean say, why would you bring Carlton back in and risk him so soon? Because you know, there certainly is question marks over him, over his fitness. You know, the fact he wasn't involved at the weekend I thought was quite alarming. If if me and I was, I know Frank didn't want to risk him and stuff like that. But when you consider you know, we haven't haven't won a game up until that point, you know, the, the pressure was on a little bit for his main number nine to still be omitted from the squad because he needs a little bit of time to, to, to come back. Especially with what Frank had said on Friday, it was more worrying in the sense of he seemed so bullish that Calvin was going to return and, you know, kind of almost basically said, well, he'll be in the squad and we'll make a decision on whether he's going to play or not near the time. But it's great to have him back, basically. Mm-hmm. Phil all of a sudden gets a Sunday afternoon and like, yeah, we made a decision not to risk him. It's like, well, what has happened in the kind of 48 hours that has, has gone on since? I know it was a little bit alarm, but the good thing for Everton is that for the first time in a long time, we've shot someone who's shown that they can come in, lead the line, give focal points. And, you know, I spoke to Dabari Gray in the mix zone after the game on Sunday, and even he, you know, the first fact, it was clearly evident that Everton needs to bring the centre forward. And, you know, even, even he admitted, like, you know, it was, it was a clearly evident. So, you know, the dressing room were clearly hoping for our centre forward to come in, and they've got that centre forward now. And, and also, I think as well, I'd probably give Calvert Lewin a bit of a, a bit, you know, a bit of a kick the backside when he does return because he's not just returning now into a team that's going to naturally, he's going to lead the line, he's going to be the number one centre forward. You know, if more big goals and get to go at Southampton and never win again, Calvert Lewin goes under pressure to get his shirt back and get his shirt back, which yeah. again is another additional boost for Everton because they haven't, had comp- on the horizon, they haven't had that competition in places for a long time, certainly mm-hmm. in the forward areas. So the fact that Calvert Lewin's not only possibly going to come back and straight back in the team because they have a fight for chance to get back in the team. Is it's only going to benefit Frank Lampard and Ramon because, like you say, you know, Calvert-Lewin's got probably six weeks if he comes back for the Southampton, in which he needs to really make a mark to get the England squad. Probably four, if you're being honest, because you imagine Frank Garfield will make calls mm. on a squad before the official announcement's made. So, yeah, I think it, it all bodes well for Everton, not so much for the players, but certainly for Everton and Frank Lampard because the options and the competition that is going to bring should only aid them moving forward. Mm. Do you think the goal and the way it came, these kind of proved that perhaps Neil Mope is sort of a perfect striker for Alex Iwobi to be playing up there with, you know, because he's he's not only willing to drop back and get involved in yeah. the build-up and play, but he's also willing to be on the last shoulder of the defender, looking for those through balls that yeah. Alex Iwobi is so often yeah. looking for in behind the back line. And, you know, obviously Iwobi was absolutely instrumental again for this goal, but... You know, it, it was interesting to see how well those two linked together, wasn't it? Yeah, it was encouraging. And like you say, I noticed a number of times Mopey would drop um, drop back in, in, into the midfield. And depending on who your striker is, you might question that. I mean, why, why aren't they f- the further forward? But it was getting him in, into the game. And yeah, just offering, like I said before, that different sort of threat. But whether that dovetails well with a Wobie, I hope so. Yeah, like you say, you know, on the turn, those are sort of balls that he likes to to play in there and it, and it was, it was interesting obviously the, the whole dynamic with the midfield because as starting together those three for the first time actually gave Everton something different it just a gay back in his um, favoured role just in front of the back four and then Anana um, always willing to be on the ball even in tight situations and then uh, will be driving forward so it could be interesting given that the amount of midfield options that mm-hmm. Lampard all of a sudden finds himself I mean Started the season playing 3-4-3 because he could only pick a couple of central midfielders. Now, all of a sudden, 
you've got six options all vying for the share. I mean, Alan not even getting a look in currently seventh choice in, as it stands or whether he ends up moving to one of these Middle Eastern markets that's potentially still open, albeit loan or permanent. I don't know, but at the moment he, he's way down the pecking order. You know, we've got the, the, the young lad James Garner as well, just, come, just coming in. Tom, Tom Davis, Abdelay Decordy, who came on. So there's lots of midfield options there, but you know, as you've got to say at the moment, I mean, a Wobie's shooing every week, and if mm-hmm. he's providing assists like that, I just wonder if that's the right balance alongside him with Anana and Adrissa Gay. I mean, things have changed over the course of a long season. Players come in and out, but it just looks like a nice blend as it stands. I think what struck me about the midfield, Connor, is that there was the freedom for any of the three, if they wanted to, to press high up the pitch and roam a little bit further out from their position, knowing that the other two would always drop in and cover for them if need be. You know, sometimes we've seen Idrissa Guy up there almost alongside Neil Mopai trying to press in, in, in a sort of 4-4-2 uh, when they were off the ball. And that's really promising to see, isn't it? You know, may, maybe not having specific set roles in the in that midfield three, but allowing them a little bit of creativity and, and free them almost to, to go and express themselves. I think it comes naturally with legs, doesn't it? I think all three have got energy, they've got legs to get around the pitch. And that's something I haven't had for a, a long time in terms of that energy and that real drive and force of, you know, to get around the pitch. And you, you think of, you know, there's been times where maybe one of the midfield two or three has had the legs, but the other two haven't, so they haven't been able to go and, and press as much as we saw the weekend. And I think the other thing as well, it's balance, isn't it? I think all three of them complement each other seemingly really well. You know, there's a right balance there. It doesn't look lopsided. It doesn't look odd. You know, we've not got two players staying in the one position. It just looks quite right. And like I say, you know, add that with the legs and the the energy that all three of them have got, it blends for what we saw at the weekend in terms of that energetic approach around the pitch, you know, press high, trying to get the ball back. And I think, you know, obviously, we'll see what, what Frank wants to do in our midfield. You know, when he first came in, there was question marks, you know, he's in midfield, why, you know, why isn't working? But you can only work with what you've got. And I think ultimately what he had probably didn't, wasn't what he wanted to work with in terms of what he wants on the pitch. I think now we're seeing what he wants because he's gone out there and both plays him to shoot that, you know, that. Obviously, Alex Wobby's been a revelation, but Onara and Rissa gave silence who he's brought in to fill voids that he clearly, you know, saw as massive weak points. So I think it's a it's a perfect balance, either by the fact that they've all got legs. And I think that moving forward, that you know, you will be hard pressed to see them three not play most weeks. I think certainly the minute, you know, he said there, Alex Wobby's undroppable. And he was probably the one name that surprised that wasn't linked with the captain's armband. Because mm. when you think of what he's done, what he's achieved now, how he's basically, you know, Transform formed a massive few ten at the club. He probably could have been with a shot of, of, of being captain. So he's obviously one name, one person who looks undroppable. You know, the other two lads look, you know, Chris Garnhill, like he's never been away. I think, you know, that's the biggest compliment you can pay anyone who comes back because there was that worry of, you know, he's a couple of years old and now he's still got the energies, his, his, his legs still, you know, powerful is what they want to wear. And, you know, again, he kind of, you know, ticked all the boxes at the weekend. So I think although Frank has got options and it's good to see we've got options. You'll be hard pressed now, I think, to see any of the midfielders get a look in on, on Ballon 3 playing the way they have been at the weekend because they just, it's the perfect balance. And Everton just looks such a much better team with that balance and with that energy, what we've seen so far this season. Mm. I think if we're talking about the Drissa guy, particularly Bees, mm-hmm. it's obvious to see where he's improved since he's went to P- PSG, isn't it? I mean, we saw glimpses of it when he came off the bench against Liverpool, but throughout that game against West Ham, he was just always looking for possession, so comfortable on the ball. Mm-hmm. He's not just that midfield enforcer that he was 
uh, before he left anymore. He is, yep. you know, he's a you know, legitimate ball playing midfielder alongside that as well. Yeah, well, I, I guess you're going to get, you can only get that. Then you go with Paris Saint Germain and you've got Mbappe, <laughs> Neymar, and um, Lionel Messi uh, in front of you. You're, you're, you're going to have options, aren't you? You're going to be Lionel Mbappe in front of him now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing now. He's actually. Go back now, and but obviously he loves Everton. That's why he's he's, he's come back. They made him his, his number one choice. But yeah, that was always the thing, wasn't it? As good as he was as a, as a destroyer and the protector of that back four behind him. I think he wasn't like a, a, a poor passer, but you know he, he, he was perhaps limited in, in his passing. Mm-hmm. But three years of that, and he's polished up. Hopefully, that's there's going to be pros and cons. He is is he is he thirty three now? Just mm-hmm. about to turn thirty three, if not. Um, He's at that more advanced stage, but hopefully he's got a hope in, in, in many ways. Maybe like Gareth Barry coming into the club. I mean, he gave quite a few years of good service when he came again after a spell at Manchester City. So he's been used to playing with those polished players, similar mm-hmm. to what um, to what um, Adrissa Gay's had at um, PSG. So yeah, I, I hope so. There was a moment very early on, and there was a couple of these on Sunday with the overhead back pass was a bit of a heart in the mouth moment there that Adrissa uh, um, Gay did but once he cut that out of his system yeah like I say it's like he'd it it, never been away and back to his, his old self so if that's what he's like in his first 90 minutes hopefully a couple of months in he'll be you know just back to those sort of um, all action levels that we saw from him first time because it is a big concern I mean generally as a rule I've said to colleagues like yourself in the office I mean I don't like this idea that you go back I, I, as a general rule in football I said I wouldn't go back I don't think players they never tend to be as good when they come back. They certainly don't tend to be better. But you know, hopefully, hopefully, uh, Adrissa um, Garnagay can be the, the exception and prove me wrong on that respect. Mm. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I suppose it'd be a little bit remiss if we didn't talk particularly about Amadou Onana as well. Connor, are you maybe a little bit surprised about how well he's adapted to the Premier League because he didn't really have. All, a lot of first-team football, I suppose, uh, last season. Premier League is notoriously quite a difficult league to adapt to, especially when you're as young as he is. But he seems to have he seems to have taken to it like a fish to water. Hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the, the the improvements are quite astounding. Because yeah. I'm eating of his day when he caught the bench against Forest, and it was like yeah, 10, 15 minutes, and, and in that 10, 15 minutes, I think he's just about done everything. I could have got sent off as well. It was one of them moments. It was one of them moments where he, he's done a couple of really good things. He took a one, he's over for this like look to play, you know, and has a bit of energy and got around the pitch. And next thing he he he, he overhits a pass to someone, then he took someone out, got booked, ends up rugby and it was you're just thinking, oh, he's a bit raw this lad. <laughs> it might take him a bit of time to get used to the Premier League, but now. Since then, he's been absolutely, you know, superb, hasn't he? And he's come in, doesn't look phased, doesn't look, you know, kind of overawed by the occasion of what he's up against. You know, he's just kind of taking everything in a, in a stride. I think it was it was quite poignant, wasn't it, as well, that he had such a good game against West Ham at the weekend there because, obviously, if things would have worked out differently, he could have been lined up against Everton yeah. at the weekend as, as things gone differently. So, you know, in, in that sense, I think it, it was a kind of big win for Kevin Felwell and Frank Lampard and that they managed to get the deal over the line because... You know, you wouldn't have wanted that line up against it at the weekend. So I think in terms of what he's done so far, just again, it's standing in good step moving forward. And I think there probably will be raw bits where he's a little bit raw, but you know, given how young he is and, and what's ahead of him, you know, he does look like a very, very exciting prospect. And you know, he clearly loves the fans as well, doesn't he? He's clearly, you know, 
already kind of fell in love with the club a little bit. You've seen at the end with the, the fans in the mobile phone to go out the streets and stuff like that. And, you know, all, all that balls. I know we kind of get, we get bogged down a little bit, don't we, sometimes, with the connection between the players and the fans. But, you know, you look at the scenes on full-time on Saturday, you know, eh, Sunday, sorry, you know, you've not seen them for a long time in terms of, you know, that wasn't, that was fans, I thought, not just delighted that the team had won, but just as delighted for Frank Lampard because he kind of proves the critics wrong, and, you know, and it gives him something to ram down the throat to them critics and pundits to are sitting out there going, Frank could be the next one sacked, you know, I roused Ray because Frank wasn't the first manager sacked and stuff like that. It almost felt, you know, the relief was more for Frank as much as anything because of how much Everton fans are desperate for him to, to get it right and desperate because for it to work because they've saw the hard work he's put in in the summer and you know I'm doing a while is one of the the kind of figure points of that hard work in the sense that they managed to persuade him to come to Everton and not West Ham and you know pulled out all the stops and got the deal done so I think in terms of performances it's right up there with you know most impressive starts I think we've seen to an Everton career because like you say you you kind of are expected for Madrid guy given what we saw before and given the fact that we you know lose it to being playing with the you know the hard globe trotters of, of PSG for <laughs> a couple of seasons and you know standards have got to be pretty high there. So but for someone to come in who's not played as much high profile football and saying never played Premier League football before to do what he's done has been he's been superb and, and hopefully they're gonna get better as well, which is quite a worrying prospect when you think, you know, what we've seen so far, if there's more to come from him. It really could be the all-round midfield package that Everton have long craved. Mm. I think Connor's right about those full-time scenes, isn't he, Bees? Mm-hmm. It seems like a, a pointed move by everybody, really. Frank Lampard obviously wanted to make yeah. a point in front of the TV cameras that he's, and he's the there. And, and the West Ham yeah. fans, of course. They love, love, yeah. that little, love that little interaction with them, to be fair. Uh, but it was obviously a big point from him that, you know, he's still got this connection with the supporters that he had at the back end of last season and the, he's always said was so crucial to Everton yeah. escaping that relegation battle from uh, last season. And it seemed almost like a, a message from the fans as well, as if to say, look, we, we're here for the performances and the results as well. You know, yeah. we, they, it was it was kind of a, a a message that, you know, that positive impact after the Liverpool game was was certainly still there. Yeah, um, I'll get I'll get um, go through the West Ham baggage first. Get that. One <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was very acrimonious the way he, he left West Ham. I was speaking to a, a broadcaster, Tom Rennie, who's a West Ham fan last season. Uh, when Adam and I, one of our many sad jaunts to London last season, yes. when uh, in the springtime, not, not just and, in London, sad jaunts yeah. across the country. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, that but it was, right, we had a few in London. To be to be fair, yeah. they, they got gradually. Uh, Less bad. Ever, ever, started... Everton gradually conceded less goals. Yeah, Five nil Tottenham, four nil Crystal Palace. It was only two one at West Ham that day. But yeah, um, ahead of that game, I spoke to Tom, and he was saying it was a long time West Ham fan. There's a lot of um, there is a lot of um, baggage there, and that you know, obviously his dad was a bona fide um, West Ham legend, Frank Lampard Senior, and then obviously he come into the squad as a young lad. Accusations of nepotism because his dad was assistant manager, his uncle Harry Redknapp was the manager, and then he, he proved them all wrong and he got his 11 million pound move to Chelsea, which you think that was 21 years ago. That's probably, I don't know, about 30 million or something now. But yeah, so there's all that dynamic has continued, and West Ham fans think that Frank always celebrates that a little bit more against West Ham United, maybe a bit of the touch of the Wayne Rooney's before Wayne and Everton started sort of getting reconciled with each other, which eventually would lead to a second spell at the club. But yes, that was Frank and West Ham. Um, in terms of Everton, which is obviously more important to us and more important to Frank um, right now, definitely because, like we said, we've talked about 
these two perceptions of Everton, the perception within the club, within the supporters, those people who live and breathe Everton, see them on a regular basis, and people who might try and not sort of dip, dip in from outside. And Everton have needed that stability for a long time. I mean, still not had a... a, a Farhad Mashiri still hasn't had a manager who's lasted 18 months, more than 18 months in the job for whatever reason, whether it's Carlo Ancelotti going back to Real Madrid or whatever. Nobody's lasted more than 18 months so far. So whoever's in that dugout forever and Everton need that stability. They, they need that now. We had ele- we had David Moyes back at Goodison at the weekend, 11 years in the in the job. I mean, that's a rarity at any in any era. But they need that, that whoever that manager is, to be there. I mean, even when it was Rafael Benitez, who nobody wanted, it seemingly, apart from the owner. You know, they needed that stability then, but then we had a sequence of results that meant his, his Liverpool connections actually became sort of frivolity compared to, you know, whatever it was, one win in 13 at the end, nine defeats in that, that run. So Frank Lampard came in, and this was somebody who, whoever he was, Everton fans felt they could get behind from, from the start. He's got a good group of coaches behind him because Frank's like the figurehead as the big football figure that he is and you know the illustrious playing career he had. He's a smart guy and he realizes that he's got to have this sort of brain's trust around him in terms of these coaches. He was very um he spoke well of Ashley Cole and the, the role he's been making on set pieces uh, this season. Obviously he's got all the rest of his backroom staff there. But Evertonians they're, they're sick of people from outside, whether it be the neighbours or whether it be people from further afield, tell them how they should think or what's good for their football club. And they can see with Frank Lampard is is, is a uh, relatively young, relatively inexperienced manager uh, in terms of, the, you know, he had a year at Derby, 18 months at Chelsea. So he, in, in a way, he needs this job to really go well for him in terms of his own managerial career, because if it does go wrong at Everton, you wonder where he actually goes as well. So it's a pivotal moment for him as well, as well as for Everton. But he's just one of those... People who um, it, it's clicked. Um, um, it's never been as as bad as it was under Benitez. But um, the, 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 you looked at some of the other people that Mshiri uh, um, had appointed, and other than Carlo Ancelotti, who's got a CV as good as any manager in world football, you sort of wondered at some of them or the connection with the club to various degrees. And Lampard's got that. Okay, he's you know he's, he's a Londoner. He spent most of his career, well, all of his playing career, almost exclusively, apart from that short spell at Man City at the end, down in London. But he's he's come up and he's sort of really taken to Evertonians, and there seems to be a two way bond there. So yeah, it was a case of the fans showing that yeah, he's our man. He's the one that they want to to be there and they want to succeed. And uh, Everton need that to, just two years now to the state, less than hopefully to the stadium. Move and you want to have that that clarity of thought, that one direction moving forward, and that only comes with Frank Lampard being given the time to develop his ideas and to, to bring the squad forward in, in, in the manner that he wants to see. Mm. Well, certainly heading into the international break on a positive note, Connor. Uh, obviously, a few players will be actually going away with their respective countries over the next couple of weeks, but with the players who are still going to be at Finch Farm, what do you expect Frank Lampard might be working on? Uh, a little bit more than anything else. I think it'll just be cases more of the same. I, I, I can't really see things changing that much because I think given how the season starts and how Everton have kind of you know improved in passing game, you know what, what we've seen. I think it'll be more case the same. And I think you look at you know, the players who would be around Calvert Lewin, maybe getting more sharpness. We would maybe be surprised if they had some sort of internal practice match training match just to get them a, a run out. And a few others obviously haven't had much game time this season. As you know. Like, 
he says earlier, you know, there's there's a, there's a long list now, isn't there, players yeah. who haven't really had much of a look in, you know, when you think of Michael Keane, you know, yeah. effectively hasn't had much of a look in. Um, Tom Davis has been in and out a little bit, so there's, there's probably the lads who could do it, maybe some sort of match actions. You wouldn't be surprised if they have a bit of an internal training match, but I think in terms of if they want to work on anything, probably be most of going forward on it, maybe you know, attack and set piece and stuff, because I think defensively at the back, they've looked pretty solid and they've looked pretty well organised. I think maybe just working on a few things moving forward, because you know, if there's one area where Everton can improve, it's scoring more goals, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, kind of one that whenever you couldn't, wouldn't be too bad, but you, there's going to be a point where you're kind of trying to score more than once in a game. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think if you don't see maybe an internal training match or some sort of maybe practice match, it'll certainly be worth it. I imagine you should be focused on attacking and, and trying to score goals because it's quite clear that Everton needs to do more of that moving forward. Mm. Yeah, I think those attacking set pieces is a good point, isn't yeah. it, Because, you know, they've been rather inconsistent, uh, to say the least, so far this season. Yeah, um, and if we think back to the first Premier League home game under Lampard, the 3-0 against Leeds United, obviously it's not going to be that straightforward every week, but it was a great um, set-piece routine yeah. that day. And of course, you can't just repeat that every week. And yeah. pick, you know, teams are going to figure out that they, they do look at the set-pieces. But yeah, a bit more sort of ingenuity, a bit more sort of enterprise in that, whereas you do something a bit surprising or something maybe they're not expecting. But, I mean, maybe they have tried that and it just hasn't come off this season, but I don't recall any particular moments where they're trying to repeat that particular routine. But yeah, if, if they can work on things like that, because we've seen with Everton's matches this season, whether they've gone one way or the other, and then we had that whole spell until this weekend where they've actually been draws, four draws in a row. There's not been much in it. Has there? It's been one goal difference or level in every single Everton game in all comps this, this season, even if it's the Carabao Cup tie at Fleetwood, you know, it's, it's I've been a one goal defeat, a draw, or a one goal victory as we saw at the weekend. So those set pieces could really make the difference in these tight yeah. games as Everton have tightened up at the back, but they're not free flowing going forward. So it's likely that a lot of these games are going to be in, certainly for the foreseeable future, might be really close games. So a set piece could be all the difference. So that's as good a thing of any to work on this next fortnight. Those attacking set pieces, as well as hammering home the defensive set pieces, because I know while Frank is pleased the way that they defend the corners, he still thinks they're conceding too many corners. Um, there were a lot of, was it 14 or something for West Ham at the weekend? They had quite a lot of corners, including one sequence where they seem to have about four or five in a, in a row at one point. So, yeah, they can hammer on with the set pieces at both ends of the pitch, sort out those defensive set pieces, and maybe work on something that just might surprise somebody because it might be the difference again between, you know, another draw or the or defeat or, or getting some extra points on the board. Mm. I suppose the nice thing for Frank Lampard and his squad will be heading into this break with a positive mood at least to be uh, possibly addressing some of that work. But that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for joining me, lads. And thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.